Welcome to the Special Ed Files. I'm Jennifer Laviano, a special education attorney. And I'm Julie Swanson, a special education advocate. Case by case, we expose what really goes on in special education. Each episode, we open up a case based on real life experiences. We reveal where things went wrong and explain the legal implication. Finally, we solve the problem so you don't have to. Let's open up a file. All names in this podcast have been changed to protect the individual's identities. Let's open the file on Bobby and the Balloon. Jen, this is one of those situations where, unfortunately, we run into all too often where many kids who are in special education are excluded from events that happen in schools. And this is one of those unfortunate stories. Let's talk about the facts. Okay, the facts. So Bobby uh, was a student that I represented. Um, I was his attorney. He was an elementary school student who had cerebral palsy and an intellectual disability. Um, And Bobby lived in a community where there was a magnet school that parents could apply to. um, And it was kind of done by a lottery. So if you were selected, your child could go there and it was parent choice. um, And his parents won the lottery for him to go to the magnet school. Uh, Unfortunately, the magnet school was very unwelcoming. Um, once they became aware that the parents had chosen the magnet school for his um, education, uh, kept trying to dissuade the parents from sending him to the magnet school um, and ultimately recognized that it was the parents' choice. But, um, you know, I had some uncomfortable feelings from the outset once we had selected that that school because of their um clear uh, unhappiness that that they would be having this student in their in their building uh, but the parents felt very strongly it was a good program and they really liked um, the attributes of the program so they wanted him to go to this magnet school um, most of, of Bobby's time uh, in school on his IEP which is his individualized education program which is the document that spells out under law what a student's special education program is going to be, uh, was in the resource room. So uh, Bobby would participate in the mainstream general education classroom in the morning only for morning routines. And then for the most of the day, he was in a resource room where he would receive special education instruction, as well as he would receive his related services of speech, physical therapy, occupational therapy, et cetera. So um, his day looked like checking in in the morning for morning routine with with the regular classroom and then most of the day in the resource room. So um, here's what happened. Uh, Bobby, at the end of the school year, there was a ceremony that the school was doing for all of the children who had completed the year. And it was something to which families were invited and was done in the big um, auditorium that was in the, the magnet school. That's where they conducted the ceremony. And Bobby and his parents and his grandparents were all very excited for the graduation ceremony and uh, got all dressed up for it. And uh, the teacher of the regular ed classroom to which Bobby was assigned had um, come up with what I thought was a pretty cute idea, the, the idea that for each student whose name was called as completing the year as part of the ceremony, um, she would hand each of them a balloon as their name was called. So 
Unfortunately, um, Bobby's parents sat in the audience waiting for Bobby's name to be called. And the teacher who, in her mind, this is the regular ed classroom teacher that Bobby only was in for, as I said, the morning routine and not the rest of the day, had completely forgotten to get a balloon for Bobby. Um, such a shame. And the family sat and waited and then realized what was happening around the same time that the teacher realized it. Um, and she didn't have an extra balloon and she felt terrible. My clients were devastated, particularly the grandparents. Mm -hmm. um, and it just was a, what should have been a wonderful life event for the family. It turned into a very sad um, and in their minds, very mean spirited um, oversight. Uh, so those are the facts. And if I could just comment, Jen, yeah. you know, I'm sure that that teacher felt awful. She did. When she realized that in the moment. And so I think what happens is because so, so many students who perhaps don't spend the majority of their day in the regular education classroom, there's a mindset there's a culture to the school for good, bad, or, or otherwise reasons. It, it may not be intentional, but we sort of think of those kids as, well, they're not really a part of the regular education classroom. And on a day-to-day well, -day basis, absolutely. they may not be present in our minds because they're not there all the time. Right, right. And I'm sure over the course, especially for elementary age students, over the course of every single day of, of the school year, there were many, many, many times where she had a certain number in her head of how many students right. she had to keep track of, how many students were you know, arriving at, at the destination from her classroom to the art room or whatever, because that's what um, she did every day. And so when she went to buy the balloons, I'm sure, and this is, this is the kind of story that it's just heart-wrenching because this was a teacher who probably spent her own money to buy these kids the balloons and right. came up with this lovely idea. And she was devastated. I mean, she she contacted the parents after the fact and offered to meet them to give him, them a, to buy him a balloon and to give it, you know, to try to rectify it and create a special event for him. But you know, the damage was done. And, um, and there are certain things you can't, you know, unring the bell. Right. right. Um, so those were the facts of Bobby, um, Bobby's case with, um, his graduation ceremony. Uh, it's just, you know, one of those truly sad phone calls to receive when you are, um, working with families. Right. So let's talk about the law. And this is yeah. an area that doesn't necessarily break the law. Well, let me say and live yeah. on the fringes. In live so first of all, I want to say not everything that happens in life that is unfair is un is illegal, right? Um, lots of things are happen to all of us every single day that are unkind or unfair or unjust, and it doesn't necessarily make them illegal. Okay, and and I unfortunately find myself saying that to parents pretty frequently who call me where I don't think they have a case where I'll say, I think that's unfortunate, but there's really not a, a violation of the law. What I do want to say about the law, and then I want to talk about aspects of the law that are implicated by what happened, even though not necessarily a violation. Okay. Um, what's implicated first and foremost about the law, magnet and charter schools. Okay. Mm -hmm. So remind, reminder that Bobby was going to a magnet school. Mm -hmm. Magnet and charter schools, while many of them don't think of themselves this way, are in fact public schools. 
They are publicly funded in, in some charter situations. Their, uh, their charter may spell out a very, um, you know, different kind of structure. However, they are required to follow the federal law. And I'm saying that slowly and deliberately for a reason. And that reason is that, Julie, you and I have had many a conversation with one another, uh, leaving meetings from magnet and charter schools extraordinarily frustrated because they seem to not understand that they have to follow the federal law because they're public schools. Well, you know, I go back to that mindset and that culture, right? Mm -hmm. So many people who send their kids to magnet schools and the teachers and the educators who work there unwittingly right? Have a mindset of we're not the public school. We're on an island. Nobody's going to come in here and tell us what to do because we're not a traditional, you know, in the district public school, so to speak. And unfortunately, Jen, in way too many of my experiences, students who have disabilities are discouraged from going from, from, the public, the public school system that they know that they're going to be leaving, going into the magnet school. And I shouldn't say from the public school because it still is a public school. Right. But they know that they may not get the level of support there. And then when you get there, too often, it's been my experience, that they try to dissuade the parent from staying there because yes. they're not going to get the level of support they would have backed in the uh, dis- the homeschool. Yes. And, and really, this is such a great example of, you know, when the parents shared with me, um, I had represented the family prior to his attending the mag- magnet school. I had, I had represented the child in his early education and in the school that he would have attended um, if he didn't have a disability in, in his public schools. And, um, and when they quote unquote won the lottery as they looked at it, because it was a, a really um, select magnet school and many, many people wanted to go and they were thrilled when he was um, selected. It, it also meant his he had a sibling who could go to the same school, to the magnet school, because that's how it, it worked in that system. Um, they were thrilled. And so then they quickly discovered that the reception they were they were getting for him in their initial contacts with the school and, and trying to set up the IEP meeting, et cetera, were not very welcoming, as I described. And I, I had to say to them, you know, you I want you to give some thought about how much you really want Bobby to be in a school that doesn't seem to want him. Because I'm, and that's not legal advice. I'm just saying that as a as a parent and as a human to another human, give it some thought, you know. Um, and to their credit, and I probably would have made the same choice they did. They felt strongly that his civil right was to attend uh, this this magnet school that he had been um, selected to attend as part of a lottery, and that because he had a disability, he shouldn't be excluded from that uh, benefit. And I agreed with them, and I advised them um, that the law requires the district, the the magnet school, to follow the IEP, and um, that you know we had a right to to send him there. Um, but it. It unfortunately was a sign of exactly this kind of um, atmosphere. Um, so th- the law is clear that magnet and charter schools do have to follow the IDEA. And then what aspects of the law were implicated here if not violated? Jen, let me just interject here for a moment. If you're interested in learning more about magnet and charter schools, there's a terrific refo- resource, and that is copa.org. Let me spell that and tell you what it stands for. C- O-P-A-A dot org. 
That stands for Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates. And there's some great information on there uh, about magnet and charter schools. Okay, Jen. Absolutely. Great point. So other aspects of the law that were implicated in the fact pattern that we gave you about Bobby. So um, the federal special education law, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, has a provision in it, and we've talked about it before, um, called the Least Restrictive Environment Provision. Uh, That language says that to the maximum extent appropriate children with disabilities shall be educated with their non-disabled peers, okay? And in fact, it's the cornerstone of of the statute because um, as a reminder, the the reason that this law was originally passed decades ago was because um, students with disabilities actually didn't even have a federal entitlement to go to public school. And so what um, this began was a civil rights movement among families and individuals with disabilities to insist that the law require that students with disabilities should be allowed to attend their public schools just as if they did not have a disability. And as part of that mandate, there is the expectation that the children with disabilities are not going to be warehoused or segregated or placed in um, substantially uh, separate educational environments, but in fact will be part of their school community with their non-disabled peers. That said, some students who require intensive services spend a good part of their day in substantially separate um, classrooms. And those decisions are supposed to be made with the parents as part of the individualized education program team meetings. Um, And so while in this case, Bobby's parents had agreed that he would be in a pretty restrictive program at the school he was attending um, by having a significant amount of his services provided in the resource room. Um, He was expected to be included, as we discussed in the morning meetings. And over time, we were hoping to have him be included more and more, but perhaps participating in some what we call specials, which are like art and music, um, PE, physical education, uh, and things of that nature over time as as his skills developed. And um, so while technically the least restrictive environment provision was not violated here because he was agreed upon, it was agreed upon that he would be in in the program he was in. The spirit of it certainly was violated by not having Bobby really be considered a member of the classroom to which he was assigned because he had so many services outside of that classroom. So that's, you know, it's an implication and not a violation. And, and I just want to add that the resource room, for those of you who may not be familiar with some special education terminology and other uh, labels could be used as well, is where students who just have disabilities or individualized education programs are all together in, in, in a single room so that they are separated from the regular education classroom. Right. And and for some students, they participate in the resource room for part of their day and aren't in there for, you know, maybe they go for an hour a day for some individualized instruction. And right. then there may be other students who spend more time or, or there may be more than one type of resource room um, or special education classroom in, mm-hmm. a, in a building. Um, another part of the law that wasn't, again, violated directly, but implicated is a different statute. 
um, which is Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. And um, 504 is a very broad federal statute that does not just govern public schools. It governs any entity that receives federal funding. So all public schools are implicated by it and, and are required to follow it. And it's a law that it has uh, at its heart an anti-discrimination um, root and purpose, which is that any um, entity that receives federal funding should not discriminate against individuals based on their disability or retaliate against um, against them because of their disability or any other protected activity under the statute. And um, one of the things that, that would be a violation of 504 is if a benefit that is offered by the school to students who do not have disabilities is not offered to students who do have disabilities. Now, I don't believe any hearing officer or federal court would think that a balloon at a ceremony is a benefit truly in the way that it is intended under the statute, although one certainly could argue that point. But what the point of having 504 is, is that schools are not permitted to have events and activities and opportunities and offer those to students across the board in their school and exclude students with disabilities because of their disability. So other events like this that we often see discrimination um, like this arise, sometimes much more clearly a violation of 504, are at field trips, um, assemblies that occur in schools where there's some presentation going on. Um, there are sometimes uh, these kinds of um, discriminatory acts that occur when there are school-wide ceremonies such as the graduation that we've talked about. Many times that discrimination is an oversight and we're going to talk a, bit, a little bit later about how to prevent this kind of discriminatory action. But um, theoretically, you know, uh, to offer uh, any kind of a program to students in your building without making those accessible um, opportunities for students who have disabilities would be a, a potential violation of Section 504. Right. I also want to add that when this student, Bobby, was in the resource room, when he's in the resource room, that is considered his least restrictive environment, because right. that's where he can access his education more appropriately and learn in an increased uh, manner than perhaps when he would be in the regular education classroom. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, it always, the IEP always has to be appropriate based on the unique needs of that child. And the federal law contemplates a continuum of restrictiveness and in fact requires that state, states maintain a continuum of appropriate alternative placements for students so that some students who are able to be educated in their regular public school for most of the day and maybe require only some push-in services into the regular classroom by a, a trained and certified person is available as much as unfortunately some students require very restrictive programming in hospitals. Um, and so there's a, a wide continuum and it has to, the, whether a program is appropriate depends on the unique needs of that child. Um, so Julie, that's the law. So the verdict, um, I, the verdict on this one is, is I think a philosophical one, okay? Which is that inclusion of students with disabilities into our public schools is a process. It is not just a token obligation. It is something that requires the thought and sometimes a mindset change at, at the school building culture level, certainly in this situation, I think it, um, it, it required one, um, where all students are truly embraced as members of the community of the school and not just those students who do not require services. 
Okay, is it time for the rewind now? It is, Julie. It's time for the rewind. Okay. The rewind. You know, why I love the rewind is because we want to talk about how do we avoid these things from happening in the future? That is the whole point of us, why we really wanted to do this podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's to try to be preventative, not because we're sharing these files to try to humiliate people for making mistakes, but because we want to um, have better outcomes for everybody um, down the road. So here are some things that could have been done differently um, and could have avoided this situation. Okay. So school-wide training, this Mm -hmm. is so important, Julie, and this is why I say um, it's got to be school-wide. Okay. The reality is that This was a regular education teacher who had, um, unfortunately, a a lovely idea, but an oversight with respect to children with disabilities, right? And very often the way we see training occur in our public schools on issues around disability is that the in-service, the, you know, professional development day, whatever you call it in your town or in your district or in your state is typically provided for special education teachers, related service providers like speech therapists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, counselors. Um, They are typically provided to the people who are already working with and have chosen a career in working with individuals with disabilities. And while that training is essential, um, it's usually in some ways preaching to the choir, right, Julie? I mean, you're, are, you're telling people who are motivated and spend their whole career training to work with these children. They know the value of these children. They know how important it is to include them in the community. It's often the regular education staff who don't receive that training, right? So we are passionate about making sure that school-wide training occurs on disability-related issues and on recognizing the kinds of events that might require more planning for individuals with disabilities to be able to participate in those events um, in a successful way, but um, that we want it front and center on the minds of of everyone in the building, not just uh, special educators, right? And, you you know, we're talking about changing culture, right? Over time where perhaps you wouldn't have made a mistake like that because the culture of the school is so just embedded with this on your mind every day, right? Yeah, absolutely. About the students who have disabilities. But there are some things that, you know, I'm thinking about, Jen, that could be done more logistically. You know, there could be an end of the year checklist you, did I do X, Y, and Z? Did I remember to do all of these things so that we're 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 making sure that a mistake doesn't like happen uh, as it did to this regular education teacher? It could be that the administrator, the administrative team, reminds teachers of this checklist. It could be improved conversations between the special ed folks and the regular ed folks, so that. This, this conversation is constantly happening. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen in many schools, but you can't change culture without practicing things differently on an everyday basis. 
You're 100% right. And speaking of change, one of the things that Julie likes to say, and I, it's one of my favorite Julie phrases, and I, I think it's, it bears um, mentioning it? here, it's this one. <laughs> you can't change other people's behavior unless you change your own behavior, right? And That's so um, one of the things that parents could do differently in a situation like this, as we're rewinding, how can parents avoid this happening to their child? Because believe me, neither these parents nor the grandparents in any way, shape, or form wanted to go through this. It, it, it will forever be something that will be sad for them to remember, right? They didn't want this. So some parents will learn usually the hard way. Um, we're here to hope that you're learning the easy way because you're learning from us and, and the mistakes that our clients and, and have experienced and, and that they've made and that others have made and instead of having to do it yourself. But you'll notice um, over time certain events which tend to be problematic for your child in terms of these kinds of um, inclusion um, missed opportunities. Picture day is a big one. Um, we've all seen the awful photos of you know a, a kid who's in, who uses a wheelchair who's off to the side with somebody else while the whole class stands together. Okay, um, there there will be events. I had one client whose son was you know really required a lot of support for him to participate in field trips and every single year until she finally said, you know what, I'm going to be proactive here. She would get a call or an email the night before the field trip saying, oops, we forgot to make a plan for your child to be able to participate tomorrow. And the whole class is going to be in, you know, whatever, uh, the, the, the theater in Hartford and not in this classroom. Do you want to keep him home tomorrow or would you like to drive him and come with him and accompany him on the field trip? Obviously that's not an ideal situation for anyone. Right. And so, um, she learned that at the beginning of the year, she would send out an email to the regular ed teacher saying, can you please let me know now which field trips are expected to be around when, so we can start planning for whether or not you're going to have coverage to uh, have somebody as a additional support for him, whether I need to plan to be with him, what what can be done at the location you'll be going to to accommodate his needs, et cetera. And she learned to change her behavior to make sure she was being proactive about the events that she knew would pretty regularly trip up the team because there wasn't planning which is another strategy that we would recommend, which is there's not a reason in the world you shouldn't be talking about this with your IEP team. Right, Julie? Right. And, you know, she was she was shaping up the, uh, the, the, the people who worked in the school to change their behavior. And right. while I don't believe that it should be the parent's burden to have to do that, it's quick, it's, it's, you're, and it's, it's rather a benign thing to do. It is. And, and it I also will avoid problems. And and look, you know, the the sad reality um, in however you want to look at it is you're likely as a parent to be training different people every year on your child. You're the one who has your child's lifetime to um, of experience to understand. You may end up with a whole new group of people every single year of your child's education. And why find yourself again, you know, um, in December frustrated and upset because there was um, a winter party gathering and your child ended up being excluded or treated differently or, or the team wasn't prepared and it's upsetting. If you know that's where you're, there's going to be a problem, be proactive. It certainly will be, it will be to everyone's best interest. And I think the other thing that a parent could do in this situation is when they're at their IEP team meetings, 
say that they would like some concerns noted on the parent and input concerns section of their IEP form that, you know, certain events have happened, which have been very painful for the family. And we'd like to do anything we can to avoid them in the future. Great idea. You might uh, send a separate email uh, talking about the event that was unfortunate and saying that, you know, please have this at the top of your mind because we'd like to avoid this in the future. So again, changing your behavior so others who are working with your child in the school start to change theirs. You're, you're almost teaching them in a way. Absolutely. And, and Julie, why is this so important? Because education is not just about academics, as we say all the time. And so much of what children get out of their education are these events, are the, the fun time they had with their peers when they had a field trip or the you know field day at, at school or the funny assembly with the clowns or whatever it is. These are the moments that children get to bond with one another in a way that's very different from what happens in a structured classroom. And, it, you know, it, we we are doing all of our children in our public schools, not just those with disabilities, a huge disservice to not be thoughtful and truly inclusive and in making sure that all children have that opportunity. And what, what are we showing and teaching the students who are not in special ed, who all witnessed that happening? Yep. Right. That's leaving an impression on them. And I can tell you as a parent, of a, of a child with a disability who's been through the special education system where there have been some things that have happened over the years for me, it may not seem, or to my son, it may not seem like a big deal to you, but for the family, it, it, you don't, you never forget those events. That's and it's right. one more scar on your heart, uh-huh. you know? Yeah, and it, I every time I think of this this example, it it breaks my heart because I remember the phone call, you know, and and how heartbroken the mother was, and how she, you know, it had it ruined their whole weekend. They they you know, and it's ruined their lives as a scar. But they, they you know they had this wonderful event, and instead it turned into a very sad day mm-hmm. and a very sad memory. And so you know, this is the, these are the moments and opportunities that we want to make sure that you. Your children do not miss the children you 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 work with, the children that you raise. We want to make sure they don't miss these opportunities. And to that end, there are actually inclusion consultants out there, people yes. who are professionals, who their job is to come in and and an IEP team can um, certainly recommend this for a particular student as part of their program mm-hmm. and say, look, we need some help here. Let's bring somebody in whose expertise is to shake up the culture of the school and take a look at this child's school day and figure out a way to better include him or her in their um, in their public school. And important, Jen, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And not to have that consultant come in as a one and done, but have that consultant come in every year. Absolutely. So then you're continuing to press the reset button and continuing to have this messaging on the hearts and minds of everyone who's working in the school. And on that end, we don't want you to forget about Bobby and the balloon, but it is time to close the file on Bobby and the balloon. Until the next one. Bye-bye. Until we open up our next file, this is Jen Laviano. And Julie Swanson. The Special Ed Files is a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. Our executive producer is Dave DeRoche, Quinnipiac Director of Community Programming. File closed.